Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, 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 everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 how do you watch this all day long? New Hampshire. They're interviewing a few people at a diner. Predictions, polls. We don't have any answers yet. Can't they just wait? I'm just telling you, it's so, to me, monotonous. The whole story, Joe Biden left early. In his defense, I know it's weird. Joe Biden's leaving for the next state. What else can he do? What else can he do? And here's the thing. As New Hampshire goes, the nation does not necessarily go. You know, I'm reminded of the 1976 Republican primaries. And Reagan was losing and losing and losing. And then they hit North Carolina. And Jesse Helms and his machine. And they got behind Reagan. And Reagan won. And Reagan stacked up a whole bunch of primary wins. And he almost defeated Gerald Ford in the Republican primary. Short by, what, 100, 110 delegates? That was it. None of these people have any context, any history for what they're reporting. (laughs) Now, full disclosure. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I've been sick as a dog today. But I didn't want to take off today because I took off some days last week that I needed to take off. So we're going to plow ahead. But that's okay. I just hope you can hear me okay. That's the goal. I have my cough button here. So I feel very secure. But all day long, reporting on New Hampshire when literally nothing has happened. People are voting and we don't have the outcome. It's exhausting, isn't it? Well, it is to me. So we're not going to have real answers. There's some voting that comes in at 7 p.m. Eastern in about an hour. The polls close, the vast majority of them, at 8 p.m. Eastern in about two hours. I'm not going to sit here and just go over the same damn thing time and time again. I I can't imagine it. So what do you say we get into a few other areas and then we'll circle back? As results come in. Does that make sense to you? This 1619 project. That America was founded in slavery. Slavery is in our DNA. Slavery is in everything we do. Is going to destroy this country. It's going to destroy this country. It is intended to destroy this country. You might say. But it's the New York Times. They're just liberal. They just do what they do. No the New York Times is very diabolical. I've explained their history to you many, many times. But the New York Times and their 1619 project 
is moving quickly into our public schools. And it's being used to teach your children a false history of this nation, which will undermine their support for this nation and undermine patriotism for this nation. Is that what newspapers are supposed to do? Is that a free press? Twelve scholars, a few, a few weeks back, wrote a letter to the editor, to the New York Times Magazine. And I want to read you what they wrote. It's a relatively short letter. I suspect they couldn't write a long letter, given the requirements of that magazine. Twelve scholars. William Allen, Emeritus Dean Professor, Michigan State University. It's worth hearing who they are. Michael Burlingame, Naomi Lynn Distinguished Chair in Lincoln Studies, University of Illinois. Joseph Forneri, Professor of Political Science, Rochester Institute of Technology. Alan Guelzo, Senior Research Scholar, Princeton University. Peter Colchin, Henry Clay Reed, Professor Emeritus of History, University of Delaware. Glenn W. LaFantasi, Frog Family Professor of Civil War History and Director of the Institute of Civil War Studies, Western Kentucky University. Lucas Morrell, Professor of Politics, Washington and Lee University. George Robble, make that Rabel, Professor Emeritus, University of Alabama. Diana Schaub, Professor of Political Science, Loyola University. I'm just telling you, these are serious people. Colleen Sheehan, Professor of Political Science, Director of the Matthew J. Ryan Center, Villanova University. Stephen B. Smith, Alfred Cowles, Professor of Political Science, Yale University. And Michael Zuckert, N. Reeves Dre, Professor of Political Science, University of Notre Dame. What did they write in their few paragraphs? They said, we are writing to you today in tandem with numerous others to express our deep concern about the New York Times promotion of the 1619 Project, which first appeared in the pages of the New York Times Magazine on August 14th in the form of 10 essays, poems, and fiction by a variety of authors. The project's avowed purpose is to restore the history of slavery to a central place in American memory and history. And in conjunction with the New York Times, the project now plans to create and distribute school curriculums which will feature this recentering of the American experience. They say it's not our purpose to question the significance of slavery in the American past. None of us have any disagreement with the need for Americans, as they consider their history, to understand that the past is populated by sinners as well as saints. But horrors as well as honors. And that is particularly true of the scarred legacy of slavery. As historians and students of the founding in the Civil War era, our concern is that the 1619 Project offered a historically limited view of slavery, especially since slavery was not just or even exclusively an American malady and grew up in a larger context of forced labor and race. Moreover, the breadth of 400 years and 300 million people cannot be compressed into single-size interpretations. Yet the 1619 Project asserts that every aspect of American life has only one lens for viewing, that of slavery and its fallout. America wasn't a democracy until black Americans made it one, insists the lead essay by Nicole Hannah-Jones. American capitalism is brutal. You can trace that to the plantation, asserts another Matthew Desmond. In some cases, history is reduced 
to metaphor, how segregation caused your traffic jam. By the way, let me just pause here. The Marxist left, and that's what's going on here. You notice how, how they endlessly attack capitalism. Capitalism now is a product of slavery. Even though capitalism is the freest system on the face of the earth. We're also dismayed, they write, by the problematic treatment of major issues and personalities of the founding in the Civil War eras. For instance, the 1619 Project construes slavery as a capitalist venture. Yet it fails to note how southern slaveholders scorned capitalism as a conglomeration of greasy mechanics, petty operators, small-fisted farmers, and moonstruck theorists, quote-unquote. Slave owners never supported capitalism. They supported feudalism. Although the project asserts that New Orleans boasted a denser concentration of banking capital than New York City, the phrase banking capital elides the reality that on the eve of the Civil War, New York possessed more banks than the entire future Confederacy, and that Southern banking capital in 1858 amounted to less than 80% of that held by by New York banks alone. Again, we are presented with an image of Abraham Lincoln in 1862 informing a delegation of five esteemed free black men, quote-unquote, at the White House, that because black Americans were a troublesome presence, his solution was colonization, that is, to ship black people once freed to another country. No mention, however, is made that the troublesome presence comment is Lincoln's description in 1852 of the views of Henry Clay, or that colonization would be sloughed off by him, in John Hay's diary, as a barbarous humbug or that Lincoln would eventually be murdered by a white supremacist in 1865 after calling for black voting rights, or that this was the man whom Frederick Douglass described as emphatically the black man's president. We do not believe that the authors of the 1619 Project have considered these larger contexts with sufficient seriousness, or invited a candid review of its assertions by the larger community of historians. We are also troubled that these materials are now to become the basis of school curriculums with the imprimatur of the New York Times. The remedy for past historical oversights is not the replacement by modern oversights. We therefore respectfully ask the New York Times to withhold any steps to publish and distribute the the 1619 Project until these concerns can be addressed in a thorough and open fashion. Do you know what the New York Times has done in response, Mr. Producer? Pushed this out as hard and as fast as they can to our public schools. I've got more on this when we return. I'll be right back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 charter schools it's helping to found coast to coast. 
Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. There are no results in New Hampshire. Not any results, but some town with 14 people. So we're not going to keep reporting the results in some town of 14 people. I want to get on with this because this is important. I know there's campaigns going on, but we have elements here that are destroying the country. You can't ignore them. Now, there's a piece in The Federalist, excellent piece, by Christina Skirk. And she says, in only seven months, the project has made great headway. Demand for the 1619 Project print edition of the New York Times magazine was higher than all others since President Obama's 08 Victory Edition, reports NPR. According to the Pulitzer's annual report, they have successfully brought the 1619 curriculum to 3,500 classrooms around the country. The Pulitzer Center reports educators from hundreds of schools and administrators from six school districts have also reached out to the Center for class sets of the magazine. The project does not just aim to infiltrate history classes, but seeks to reframe the way students see a vast array of topics from economics to healthcare, traffic, and music. According to John uh, Murawski of uh, Real Clear Investigations, five public school systems, including Chicago and Washington, D.C., have adopted the 1619 Project's companion curriculum district-wide. In most cases, the curriculum has not been vetted through a normal textbook review process, but is being implemented by what Murawski calls administrative fiat. In most of the school districts, the 1619 curriculum is meant to be supplemental. But in January, the school district of Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, adopted it as mandatory for 7th through 12th graders, reports NPR. And many major publications have pointed out the project's historical, factual, and logical inconsistencies. And I just told you about 12 Civil War experts, historians who condemn it. Although these efforts have been noble, they have had little impact on the 1619 Project's advance. So others are rising to respond. One such response is a new free online course offered by Hillsdale College. And you know, we're very close with Hillsdale here. They're a sponsor, but you would expect them to step into the, into the void and take this on. And the class's title is The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. And it will be taught by Hillsdale President Larry P. Arn and Wilfred M. McClay. And it's based on McClay's book, Land of Hope, Invitation to the Great American Story, winner of the Intercollegiate Studies Institute's Book of the Year for 2019. And it goes on. Well, here's where we are. This is why we're losing the minds and souls of young people. Now, what is this reminiscent of, the 1619 Project, pushing it out into our schools, pushing it out into our colleges and universities, pushing it out into the media, taking control of the instrumentalities of communication and education? What is that familiar familiar with you about? The whole progressive project. The whole progressive project. The reason we have and I've broken this down in several books, the reason we have an unfree press is because the so-called progressive project has conquered the free press. 
They've conquered our public schools. John Dewey wrote about it in the 1920s, one of the leading intellectual progressives. He said, don't just report. You've got to explain from a social project, social activism perspective. You have to advance the cause of progressivism, of social activism. Public schools, he said, and he was adhered to, and we've had 100 years of this now, you don't just teach mathematics and history and science and so forth. In each instance, these subjects must be explained in the context of a progressive ideology. And so this is what we get. The New York Times is a radical status progressive entity. The vast majority of our government schools, same thing. The vast majority of our colleges and universities, same thing. Now what does this have to do with anything? This is how you get a Bernie Sanders. This is how you get a Bernie Sanders. There's almost no pushback pushback in our our government schools, almost no pushback in our universities and colleges, almost no pushback in our media. Instead, he's treated like a nice old man who wants to help people. I keep hearing he's been consistent, and he's got a lot of energy, and his people have a lot of energy, and they have big crowds. This is the kind of reporting we've been getting all day out of New Hampshire. But who is he and what is he? Well, he's a socialist. Well, what does that mean? They don't tell you. They don't tell you. I heard one guy, the monotony of this reporting. Why are you going to vote for Bernie Sanders? You know what he said? Because I don't want to pay my student loans anymore. He doesn't want to pay his student loans anymore. So the rest of us should pay his student loans. This is why Marxism has an appeal. It creates the impression of something for nothing. It creates the impression of egalitarianism. It creates the impression of humanitarianism. And it's the opposite of all these things. So where is the, the basis of our founding? The real basis of our founding principles? Individuals, liberty, natural rights, a true free press. Where is it taught? There's a few safe havens here and there. But as a general systemic matter, it's not taught anymore. And this is a major step towards the destruction of our society. I'll be right back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Conservatism with passion. 
The Mark Levin Show. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Yes, yes, yes. I am here. Um, a couple of things. People are already predicting who is going to be the Democrat nominee. They may be right. They may be wrong. They want to pat themselves on the head. I don't do that. I don't see how that serves any purpose. I don't think you'd listen to me on the radio because you think I'm Nostradamus or Gene Dixon or whatever. We can analyze it. But let's analyze this. There is something horribly wrong with the Democrat Party where 25 or 30 percent of the voters in Iowa and perhaps New Hampshire vote for a dyed-in-the-wool Marxist. He's not a socialist. He's a Marxist. You need to understand who this man really is. I understand that the media cover for him, which is shocking. And I want you to think of something. Marxism, that ideology in one form or another, is responsible for impoverishing billions of people Billions over the course of its implementation and killing tens of millions of people. So even if you embrace aspects of Marxism, significant aspects of Marxism, is that not problematic in and of itself? I mean, if somebody were running for the nomination and embraced aspects of fascism. Because Marxism and fascism in many ways overlap. Do you think they're beginning the kind of coverage they get from our media today? Both of these ideologies are genocidal in the end. In their most aggressive forms. But even in their less aggressive forms, they're enormously destructive. So why does a Marxist get a pass any more than a fascist should get a pass? In fact, whether you look at Marxism or some form of fascism, they destroy the individual. They destroy liberty. They would destroy our founding principles. But I'm quite serious about this. If somebody were to run for office and say, hey, look, I'm a democratic fascist. You go, what? Oh yeah, I'm a democratic fascist. Not a fascist, I'm a democratic fascist. And they say, I'm a democratic fascist and I want your vote because I'm going to make the trains run on time. I'm going to get your social security check. I'm going to make sure the VA works. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'll clear out your your loans. You won't have any loan issues. And in fact, most fascists throughout history have been more like Marxists in, in some ways than anything else. This is why it drives me crazy that Bernie Sanders gets this pass. And then the Democrat Party more and more moves towards Bernie Sanders, and then you have Klobuchar going out there saying, but actually I'm a moderate. Ask the people in Wisconsin if Klobuchar is a moderate. And Buttigieg is a moderate when he wants to abolish the Electoral College. No moderate wants to abolish the Electoral College. There are no moderates running for the nomination. Now, the old Joe Biden wasn't even a moderate. He's a nasty, vicious senator who tried to destroy conservative after conservative. Clarence Thomas, Bob Bork, a whole list of nominees for a whole variety of positions. 
He's a hitman. But it should tell you something. This is why I spend all this time writing these books and talking to you about these things. It should tell you something. That more and more people are comfortable with a Bernie Sanders. If you like your health care, Bernie Sanders says, you don't get to keep it. If you don't want to pay for somebody else's student loan, and the vast majority of you don't have student loans, Bernie Sanders says, tough. If you run an American company, and you're making good profit, and you give people a good return on their capital investment, people who have pensions, you know, IRAs, 401ks, and so forth, mutual funds, and you have employees who get a good salary, decent pension, Decent health care. Bernie Sanders' ideology is going to destroy all this. They go, you took, Bernie didn't take one penny of corporate money. First of all, Bernie can't take one penny of corporate money. Corporations are not allowed to donate to campaigns. They have political action committees. But he didn't take one penny of corporate money, ladies and gentlemen. Is that a good thing? I'm serious. Is it better that Mike Bloomberg spends $300 million of his own money? Or this, this nutjob Steyer spends $100 million of his own money? That way these oligarchs running around? Seriously. This is problematic. And to hear Republicans say, hey, let Bernie be the nominee and so forth. I want to confront this. I want to confront him. I want to confront this ideology. This is why I let off with the 1619 Project and the whole progressive movement and where it's dragging this nation. More and more, more and more, we are a post-constitutional republic. I had a uh, man I respect greatly, professor from Stanford Law, Mike McConnell, on my show, Life, Liberty, and Levin. And he poo-pooed when I said, you know, I think we're in a post-constitutional... No, no, look, look how wonderful, you know, we still have this. That's not my point. Not even close. When you look at the Constitution, you look at what we're doing. The fact that somebody can run on a quote-unquote democratic socialist agenda is incredible to me. Apart from the immorality of it, how does the Constitution provide for such a thing? Well, it doesn't. But, of course, the Supreme Court got involved during the Roosevelt era. And, by the way, here's what I'm thinking of doing, Mr. Producer, and country. I think on the next Life, Liberty, and Living, and I'm going to mention this because I don't think the backbenchers have the capability of ripping me off here. I think I'm going to have an expert on Franklin Roosevelt Sunday night. One of the best experts. I'll find him. To talk about how Franklin Roosevelt abused his power. I'm going to talk about abuse of power. And why Franklin Roosevelt? Because this is the iconic figure of the Democrat Party on the left. And I want to address this. You know what? I think I'm going to do it. And you folks, are, I think you'll listen because you're smart and you want to listen to these sort of things. And we'll go through it. What Franklin Roosevelt did. What he did to turn the Constitution upside down. What he did to turn capitalism inside out. Because you're not allowed to talk about Franklin Roosevelt. Oh, Franklin. Oh, he's spectacular. Trump is the one that needs to be removed, not Roosevelt. And I think we'll show you all the now impeachable offenses, abuses of power of Franklin Roosevelt. Does that seem interesting to you, Richie? Yeah. I, I hope the audience will watch. I think I'm going to do that. I'm not going to just bring in 
the usual conga line of guests and uh, throw red meat at the camera, which is done, (laughs) in my view, all over media, just way too much. We're going to take this subject and break it down. That's what we're going to do. And that's what the purpose of the Sunday show is anyway. So I'll let you know in the days ahead how I've decided to do this, because I'm going to do it. Mike, you're going to talk about Franklin Roosevelt? Here we are. It is absolutely relevant, more relevant than all the BS you're hearing. It truly is. Much more relevant. By the way, I want the folks in Philadelphia to know it's finally here. A special event in my home city, Philadelphia, or in the environs, as we like to say. On Saturday, March 7th, in Pittman, New Jersey, at the Broadway Theater of Pittman. Now, I'm not going to keep repeating this, so you might want to write it down if you're in the Philadelphia area, New Jersey, New York, Maryland, Delaware, and Pennsylvania, and other places. It's Saturday, March 7th, Broadway Theater of Pittman, 43 South Broadway, Pittman, New Jersey. The event will start at 11 a.m. It'll be uh, me and my buddy Rich Zioli. And it'll go till 12, 15 p.m. And we're going to have a wonderful time. I've never been there before. I've never done this in the Philadelphia area before. I'm sure this place will sell out very, very fast. Mr. Producer, we'll post this uh, after the program. That's uh, Broadway Theater of Pittman, 43 South Broadway, Pittman, New Jersey. You could probably go to the WPHT website, and I suspect they'll have a link there if you'd like to do that. But it'll go from 11 a.m. to 12.15 p.m., and uh, we look forward to having a wonderful time. Maybe some people will show up in the audience who I know from 40 years ago. That would be fun. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. If you're really interested in an advanced education about what I've been talking about today and yesterday, Socialism, Marxism, Progressivism, and Bernie Sanders. The book to read of my books is Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. It's not the newest book. 
Some people say it's the most difficult book. Emeritopia is up there too. But that's the book. And all it requires when you read it is some concentration. So it's rediscovering Americanism and the tyranny of progressivism. And you'll understand completely what's taking place in this society. And you'll understand far more than any reporter covering these matters. All right. Andrew, Stanhope, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Yeah, the Times, they're liars and hypocrites. Slavery was not brought here by Europeans or Columbus. It arrived centuries before with so-called Native Americans or Asian. They migrated from Asia, so slavery was brought here way before the Europeans. And it wasn't exclusive, of course, to capitalism. And as you know, the black slaves that were brought here, they were incarcerated by other African nations enslaved. And the Times also, uh, the hypocrites, they praised Colin Kaepernick when he went to Africa to protest the 4th of July because of slavery. But the country he went to, ironically... Hey, let me, let me help everybody here. There's not a corner of the earth that didn't suffer from slavery at some point in human history. Not a corner of the earth. Not one. You can look at Africa. You can look at North America, South America. You can look at Asia. You can look at Europe and the Middle East. That's the point of these scholars. Moreover, their point is, no, America was not founded in slavery. As I explained to you what they said before. So I'm not even really interested in, oh, the blacks did this and the whites did I'm telling you <clears throat> that slavery was a fact. And every ethnicity, every race participated in it, and every ethnicity and race suffered from it, pretty much. And in the new territories, there was no slavery. And, of course, the Civil War, we fought to end slavery. And it was the Democrat Party that was the party of slavery then Jim Crow. Then the- yes, sir, you're repeating what I said. Thank you for There's no need to call here and tell me what I've told you. Right, Mr. Producer? I, I don't know why people feel... You're not, are you impressing me or trying to convince me of something I already said? I'm not trying to be rude. But I'm not going to spend precious national radio time going through what I've already said. Yes, the Democrat Party is the party, was the party of slavery and segregation, and Jim Crow. There's simply no doubt about that. Let's continue. Rob, in Mercer, California, XM Satellite, go. Yeah, that's Merced, California. And, uh, yes, I'm a social studies teacher and a biology teacher right now, so I'm interested in what you're saying. Um, What they're doing with biology, I think, is just totally wrong. Um, I've got a sex well, class. Well, tell us, re- tell us what they're doing with biology. Well, I've got a sex class that I'm required to teach, and yes. this sex class, I have to tell the students that being transgender is okay. Uh, nothing wrong with it. I believe in accepting people, but there's so many people in the country that are getting transgender operations, and uh, they're being hurt, and I can't use any of that information. uh, Well, let me me make a statement that, uh, look, it may cause trouble, but I I speak from my heart and my mind. Transgender is not okay. It's not okay. And I don't think we should just willy-nilly accept it as a society. 
because the left and others pushed this on us. I don't believe it. It wasn't okay 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Not because our society discriminates. But I don't think it is okay. Now, I don't know every specific case. No question about that. But as a general policy to be teaching children in schools that transgender is, as you say, okay, uh, I reject that. Why are they teaching any of this anyway? Why? Because, as I said, Dewey and others said, use the classroom to advance progressivism, the ideology, anti-constitutionalism. That is exactly what's taking place in these government-run schools. Go ahead. Yes. All right, thank you. Let's move on. Jim, Raleigh, North Carolina, Sirius Satellite, go. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for what you do. Lower your radio. Appreciate it. Our founders would be proud of the work you do. Hey, no. calling regarding the 1619 Project, where's, where's Betsy DeVos on this, our Secretary of Education? Well, she doesn't control what goes on in the classroom. She can make recommendations and so forth. Right. But she doesn't have control over it. Okay. Well, this is one of the, I'm sure, the, one of the leftover things from Obama, right? I mean, after all, didn't Valerie... Jim- no, it's not a leftover thing from Obama. This was started in August of 2019, last year. It's all voluntary. <clears throat> the New York Times is pushing it. Local school districts are implementing it. Uh, has nothing to do with the federal government. Has nothing to do with Obama. It is the New York Times. Really? Yep. Wow. That's amazing. All right. That's, okay. So what do we do okay. about this? I'll tell you what I would do about it. i go to those school board meetings and raise holy hell. That's what I would do. Part of the problem is this is being implemented in heavily Democratic metropolitan areas. Uh, and these school districts figure they'll get away with it. But I think, seriously, people need to confront these school boards. And these bureaucrats are instituting this stuff because it is the, uh, there's no question. It's the downfall of the country when you attack our very founding like this. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811. And yet... This is interesting. Launching off from our first hour, the New York Post, majority of Americans will vote against socialist candidate for president, Paul Fines. More the reason to expose Bernie Sanders. I think a lot of people vote because of touchy-feely reasons, you know? Americans are not happy with the prospect of a socialist candidate like Bernie Sanders for president, a new Paul Fines. A majority of U.S. residents, 53%, said they would vote against a socialist candidate for president, according to Gallup poll released today. Now, folks, 53% is a bare majority. Meanwhile, only 45% of respondents in the poll said they would, they would vote for a socialist. Only 45%? 
Wait until they're done 10 years with the 1619 Project. In fact, they write, socialism was the only category in the poll rejected by a majority of Americans. For example, 60% of Americans said they would vote for an atheist. 38% said they wouldn't. And more than 9 in 10 Americans, that's 90%, said they would vote for a presidential candidate nominated by their party who is black, Catholic, Hispanic, Jewish, or a woman. And yet Bernie Sanders is out there saying America is racist from top to bottom. It's such a great country. Seriously. Such a magnificent civil society. I, I, I would do anything to get Bernie Sanders on one of my shows. Anything. But it's not going to happen. Now the findings come as Sanders, a self-described Democratic Socialist is a top-tier candidate vying to win the Democratic nomination for president. Although it's not like he's uh, got some juggernaut. It's a crowded field where if you get a plurality, not even a huge plurality, you eke your way through. He was leading in polls in New Hampshire, so we'll see. Now there's a political divide over the socialist candidate question, however... This is what you need to see. 82% of Republicans said they wouldn't vote for a socialist. While just 17% said they would. Which is astonishing, but nonetheless. But here you go. By comparison, 76% of Democrats said they would vote for a socialist. While 21% said they wouldn't. 76% three-fourths of Democrats said they would vote for a socialist. Absolutely shocking. Only 45% of key swing state voters, self-described independents, would vote for a socialist. 51% said they would not. Still tight. 80% of respondents said they would vote for an evangelical Christian candidate. 78% said they'd vote for a gay lesbian candidate. 70% said for a candidate under the age of 40. 69% 69% said for a candidate over the age 70. This, this is mindless. What kind of stupid questions? Do you go into a polling place? You know what? I'm voting for some guy who's under 40. Is that your reason? No. The Gallup analysis concluded as the, two, as the 2020 Democratic presidential primaries get underway, it may be instructive to know that Little prejudice stands in the way of Democratic as well as national support for candidates who happen to be Catholic, Hispanic, Jewish, or female. You didn't tell us that. Tell Bernie Sanders. Being especially young or advanced in age could pose minor appeal problems. Being gay or lesbian, Muslim or an atheist or a socialist wouldn't cause much stir among Democrats, but these candidates would have difficulty attracting support from Republicans and to a lesser extent, political independence. So what do we get out of this? Largely nothing. Largely nothing. Most of the people don't want to vote for a socialist. But this is the nomination process. We're 25 or 30 percent consistently in a primary. One after another can get you the nomination, at least theoretically. Now we have the countdown clock, Mr. Producer. 8 p.m. will start getting results, theoretically. It's not like we're going to know it at 8.12 or something like that. I'm just, I'm just giving you a heads up. 
I want to hit another subject before the results come in, because this is being spun too. As an old Department of Justice hand, a chief of staff to attorney general, <clears throat> I was also shocked that the prosecutors in the Roger Stone case were recommending seven to nine years. And I'm no Roger Stone fan. He has said some incredibly nasty things about me, but that's irrelevant. And some of these prosecutors are the same prosecutors who worked on the Mueller case. They're partisan, hardcore Democrat hacks. Seven to nine years for Roger Stone, they wanted to recommend What kind of human beings do that to another human being? Stone is 67. So at least theoretically, be in his mid-70s by the time he got out. And for what? Well, you don't lie to Congress. No, but Congress lies to us. Now, you can punish somebody. That's fine. But why would you throw the book at him? This Mueller crowd was the worst of the worst. Now, four of the federal prosecutors who worked on this case have resigned. That's another outstanding outcome as far as I'm concerned. Self-unemployment. I kind of like that, don't you, Mr. Producer? They fired themselves. But get this, they're still going to remain in the federal government, just in a different capacity. So they want you to think this is like the Saturday Night Massacre in Watergate. It's not. Now, the judge in this case, her name is Berman, as I recall. She is a radical leftist appointed by Obama. She's been (laughs) brutal. Absolutely brutal. When it comes to the Trump orbit. So she will make the final decision. The Department of Justice took this decision away from the U.S. Attorney's Office and these U.S. Attorneys, assistant U.S. Attorneys, and one's a special assistant U.S. attorney, because the Department of Justice says it was misled by these prosecutors about what they were going to request, and they stepped in and said, no, this is way over the top. And so you have media outlets and Democrats all upset about this. All upset about it. you got to throw the book at Roger Stone. We need more political prisoners. And this is how CNBC wrote it up. Four federal prosecutors dramatically quit the criminal case against Republican operative. Now look at the devil terms. Stone is a Republican operative. Now look at the angel terms. Dramatically quit. So you have good guy, bad guy. As the Department of Justice reduced their recommendation of the judge sentenced the longtime ally of President Donald Trump to up to nine years in prison. In a revised sentencing memo filed Tuesday, Timothy Shea, U.S. Attorney for Washington, said Stone deserves to be sentenced to far less time in prison than what the four prosecutors who worked under Shea proposed. Jonathan Kravis, who delivered the closing argument at Stone's trial last fall, resigned as an assistant U.S. attorney, according to a court filing in Washington Federal Court. I hope the door doesn't hit you in the ass. Get the hell out of here, you jerk! Jonathan Kravis is his name. The other three prosecutors, Aaron Zelinsky, Adam Jed. Michael Morando also withdrew from Stone's case according to their own separate filings, which did not explain their decision. But those three all will continue working for the federal government. Why? 
Just leave. Get a job in the real world, may I say. The four prosecutors all signed the controversial sentencing recommendation for Stone on Monday that quickly came under attack both from the Justice Department and from Trump for being too hard, and not just Trump, from a lot of people, including people who don't like Trump, including people who don't like Stone. This was a truly vicious effort by these four prosecutors. Those prosecutors told Judge Amy Berman Jackson, that's her name, Amy, Amy, in that filing that Stone should get a prison term of between seven and nine years when he's sentenced for crimes related to lying to Congress about his contacts with WikiLeaks during the 2016 presidential election. By the way, how many years did Clapper get? Remember when he lied under oath, Mr. Producer? How many years? Oh, none. How about Brennan? None. That's right, they got a job on cable TV. It's amazing. Meanwhile, look at Lieutenant General Mike Flynn. Look at the mess they've, they've dragged him into. Prosecutors said their proposed sentence mirrors the sentence suggested federal sentencing guidelines, which are calculated, ah, blah, 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 we all know. Now we'll see what this left-wing Obama judge does. She has been brutal to Manafort. And brutal to stone. And you know damn well she wouldn't be that way to any Obama type. Or Democrat for that matter. No way. You know there are a lot of great conservative organizations out there doing some incredible work. But I want to take a minute to talk to you about the MRC. Or as I like to call them, America's Media Watchdog. When you think of the MRC, you should think of one thing. Truth. For over 30 years... The Media Research Center has had one mission, to provide reliable, fact-driven information about the media, because the American people deserve the truth. Unfortunately, we don't get the truth from the media today. Just look at their shameful coverage of impeachment, the impeachment trial, their glowing coverage of President Trump's opponents. That's why the work of MRC is so important. They're the tip of the spear in the fight for truth in journalism. Now, I've worked with Brent Bozell and his team at the MRC for many years, and I respect their work. In fact, I rely on them. We all rely on them. Newsbusters, CNS News, MRC TV, all of them. Learn more about the MRC at mrclevin.org. M-R-C-L-E-V-I-N.org. Now, if you care about this country, and you do, if you care about the truth, and you do, you should get to know the MRC. So please go to mrclevin.org to learn more. That's MRCLEVIN.org. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Fletch, York, Pennsylvania, Sirius Satellite, go. Good evening, sir. It's a privilege to speak with you. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to talk to you about uh, your commentary on the 1619 Project. Mm-hmm. Forgive me, I sound a little bit like you do at the moment. Sorry. Um, it, uh, it occurs to me that while it's absolutely necessary to you know, point out the serious flaws in that, uh, I'm afraid we've been here before, all the way back to... Uh, Engels' uh, condition of the working class in uh, England, which was laughed at when it came out and still survives today, or Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. I'm not laughing at this. I'm trying to deal with it and confront it. And what I'm concerned about is while everybody's chasing shiny objects and spending it all day on an event that hasn't even taken place yet, this is all going on in our schools. It's going on in our uh, in our society, that's why I I raise it, and it's a big deal. Uh, it, it's been a, a pattern, particularly of late, uh, democracy and change, dark money, uh, a whole bunch of nonsense that gets put out and you know, lives forever in the uh, liberal lexicon of this is what's wrong with the United States when it's all been shown to be crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's right. All right, sir. Thank you for your call. There's a lot of uh, dangers on the horizon. This Michael Bloomberg is a dangerous man. (laughs) He's an oligarch, as I said. I didn't coin it. Somebody else did, but it's true. And he'll change his positions in two seconds, but he'll never change them towards conservatism or liberty. He'll go the other way. He'll go the other way. You probably heard this by now, but you haven't heard it from me. Here's Bloomberg in 2015 about stop and frisk. Cut to go. 95% murders and murderers and murder victims fit one and all. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male, minorities, 15, 25. That's true in New York. It's true in virtually every city. All right, let's, it's too muffled. I think it's too muffled. So let me read it to you. 95% of your murders, murderers and murder victims, fit one MO. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They're male, minorities, 16 to 25. That's true in New York. That's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of people that are getting killed. You want to spend the money, but a lot of cops on this put a lot of cops on the streets. Put those cops where the crime is, which means minority neighborhoods. One of the unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you're arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. The way you get guns out of kids' hands 
is throw them against the wall and frisk them. Then they say, I don't want to be caught, so I won't bring the gun. They still have the gun, but they have it at home. Now let me unpack this a little bit. First of all, he's right in this respect. That the vast majority of crime, the vast majority of murder, and attempted murder, is young minorities, particularly African Americans, against young minorities, particularly African Americans. 16 to 25. Those are the statistics. That's a fact. And it is a fact in virtually every major metropolitan area. It's just true. It's not about race. It's about reality. You're not going to keep people safe. You're not going to keep communities safe unless you, you deal with reality. My problem is his language. His language. The way you get guns out of kids' hands is throw them against the wall and frisk them. Then they say, I don't want to be caught, so I won't bring the gun. They still have the gun, but they leave it at home. And he also kinds of swing into his, his gun confiscation ideology, which is, you know, pretty damn outrageous. But he's walked back all of this. Stop and frisk, he opposes it. I strongly support it. So he opposes it now. He also had something very bizarre to say when we come back about Russia's invasion of Crimea. You know, Russia invaded and annexed Crimea. And he compares it to the United States and California. It's quite bizarre. And the more audio and video that exists on this guy, the more of a chameleon he is. So I want to play that for you when we return. We'll be right back. from the show. We have a special number you can call to reach him, 877-381-3811. You know, mortgage rates remain low, making it worth your while to consider mortgage refinance. You can easily do so with help from my friends at American Financing. I recommend them because their mortgage consultants are only focused on your goals. So there's never any pressure, no upfront or hidden fees either. This is a wonderful sponsor. And I really want you to think about this because I believe in the solutions they create. Now, if you handle your mortgage properly, and if you respond to low interest rates properly, you can responsibly leverage your debt, and you can actually make money. Because you can reduce your monthly payments, more money in your pocket. So you need to look at your mortgage, look at your, your rate, and know what's available. Which is why I continue to recommend a free mortgage review from American Financing. There's no obligation. Just a conversation around ways you can save up to $1,000 a month without starting your term over. So please take just 10 minutes out of your day and call American Financing. They are the best. The number, 888-900-1828. That's 888-900-1828. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. 
American Financing, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right, let me get back to uh, Bloomberg and Crimea. Also 2015, he justifies Russia's invasion of Crimea. You know, it's funny, they say Trump loves dictators. No, he doesn't. But Bloomberg actually does. Xi is his buddy, and apparently Putin is his buddy. Now, I listened to the audio during the break. It's not clear enough, so I'll read it to you. This is Bloomberg in 2015. Nobody thinks that Russia should be invading Ukraine and trying to take land. Except if you think about it, what would America do if we had a continuous country? And a lot of people in that country wanted to be Americans. Does California ring a bell? We just went and took it. I'm not suggesting Putin's doing a good thing, or it should be allowed, but we did this. That was 200 years ago, but we did it. And you want a warm, uh, warm water port? Guantanamo Bay ring a bell? We kept that. One of the reasons that Putin has reacted the way he did is there was a movement to have NATO be right along the Russian border. So they know this meant that the world was out to get them. We did the same thing, not letting another country come near us with weapons when we stopped Russia from putting missiles in Cuba. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, let's get a few things straight here. Shouldn't you instinctively want to defend your own country? I guess he's talking about President Polk and what took place during the Polk era. You know, it's interesting. Thomas Jefferson believed, and he believed strongly, that the Louisiana Purchase included Texas and parts of the western United States. That's what he believed. That's number one. Number two, Russia is our enemy. It doesn't mean they're ready to shoot nukes at us. But Russia is our enemy. Otherwise, we're spending an awful lot of money aiming missiles at them and they aiming missiles at us. Again, it doesn't mean we go to war, but they're our enemy. I know some of the code pink Republicans want you to believe otherwise. That's a very dangerous thought. But there you have it. All right. Let us go to... Who do we have here? Hold on one second. I'm pulling up the calls. Got it, got it, got it, got it. All right. Ed, Green Bay, Wisconsin, the great WTAQ. Go. Thank you, Mark. Um, Your earlier comments on um, people should talk to their school board, uh, they're they're excellent. Um, I'm a former public school administrator, and I've also got another strong suggestion to your listeners. Um, If if people are like me and you, um, I've got three degrees, and I get a lot of calls from the universities where I earn those degrees from. And they want donations. And I tell them no. I, I don't give them dollars until they start intellectually um, making their faculties more diverse. Um, I would not hesitate to give money to a university like Hillsdale College, um, but unfortunately, there's not a there's not an awful lot of colleges like that out there. Um, they will react once, and, and I know it. I know it's not very sexy, but they will react someday when their 
their donations start drying up. Uh, some of these universities, they've got billion-dollar endowments, so it's going to take some time. But that's one. That's a very important. I, thing I think to- that is a great point. And let me say this to you: Why are we required to keep subsidizing our demise? Either these universities actually believe in academic freedom, in diversity of viewpoints, in vigorous debate. Or our tax dollars should stop going to them. Our state, federal, local tax dollars, they're like in a bubble. And that's intentionally done this way. And this is why Bernie Sanders says he wants to wipe out all student debt and free college for everybody. If our universities were truly of the nature of uh, academic freedom, he wouldn't support that. But he knows what I know and you know, which is the classrooms are filled with Bernie Sanders types who have tenure and who have as their purpose, not to teach. There's a guy called yesterday who was brilliant. Not to teach engineering, mathematics, physics, what have you. Because they don't, if you don't believe in capitalism, then you're not trying to develop people who are going to be entrepreneurs and so forth. Uh, what Bernie Sanders really wants is schools filled of philosophy students and political science students. It's nothing wrong with it in and of themselves, but... It is under the hands of the left who are pushing this radical agenda. So the revolution is institutionalized. And that's what's going on here, just like the 1619 Project. But I think you're right. Stop giving money to these universities. Maybe uh, you went to these schools and so forth. They're radical rat's nests for the most part. All right, sir, I appreciate your call. Let's keep going. Bob, Middletown, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. You got it. I just wanted to share with you and your listeners how perhaps this um, leftward movement is even seeping into uh, private industry. I um, visited a local hospital last month for an x-ray. I filled out some basic information at the kiosk, then was put on a queue, and then I was called to the registrar's desk. Very pleasant woman there. We go through the regular questions, name, address, telephone number, insurance card, and then she said, sex, and I said, mail. And then she said, from birth. I, I, what? I said, excuse me? I said, yes, I have to ask you this question. Have you been a male since birth? And I said, why would you ask me that question? Well, we're trying to be very inclusive. And she pointed to a card that was on her desk saying that in an effort to be sensitive to all walks of life, uh, we now may be asking the follow-up questions. So I said to her, um, I don't really understand how, how that's logical, but I realized it wasn't her fault. So I have written a letter to the CEO. I did call the CEO, spoke directly with someone in the office. They promised he or she would get back to me. That hasn't happened. It's now been three weeks. And I have a letter that I I composed on paper. I'm going to transfer it shortly to my computer. My my concern here is the, the, the agenda that's being pushed is now finding its way into the private sector, but also it's finding its way into the hospitals. And I thought hospitals were built on scientific science. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, uh, I call these people, they're not corp- executives at corporations. I call them corporatists. I've called them that for years and years and years. And they have the same mindset as most people in government, just to get along, you know? Well, I, you know, I really appreciate how you're explaining uh, what is happening here. Uh, but I just found it, you know, a, a, an organization that's based on scientific fact is now taking that, those facts and contradicting them to fit a narrative that certainly doesn't 
seemed logical to and, me. And, and yet they claim to be the, the party and the ideology of science. You can hear it when it comes to so-called climate change. They are not the party of science. They're the party of ideology. And this is what they do. All right, my friend, thank you for your, for your call. Um, before we move on, early returns are in. I think there's been 12 votes, Mr. Producer. A couple thousand for Bernie Sanders, a thousand for this one or that one, and Sanders has the lead, followed by Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Warren. A very diverse group there. I'll be right back. Lovin. are coming in now, actual votes in New Hampshire. Now, keep something in mind. The vast majority of the precincts don't close till 8 p.m. Some of them have closed at 7 p.m., obviously. But the early votes, up to 7 p.m., show Sanders with the lead, Buttigieg second, Kobachar right on his heels, and Warren sort of a distant fourth, and Biden, seven-some-odd percent. And I heard some analysts say, you know, Biden's going to have to get out. Biden should not get out. Now, he, I'm not saying he's going to be nominated. In fact, he may well not be nominated. The money's against him. But Iowa and New Hampshire were always his toughest states. New Hampshire, you have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren from neighbor states. So... What he has to do, and I don't know if his people are capable of it, is get out there and spin. Like hell. Say, wait a minute, now we're going to move into some states where I have a chance to win. And if he goes into South Carolina, maybe comes in second, or a strong third, he's still in. Look, I'm not advising him, I'm talking to you. I'm analyzing it with you. All right. What's your gift this Valentine's Day? How about taking 10, 15, or even 20 years off your appearance with breakthrough Genesol jawline treatment? No more turkey neck, double chin, or sagging jawline. And it works amazingly well. Just listen to Linda B. from Marina Del Rey. She says, I love your jawline cream. It really works. I mean, I really see a difference. And people never believe my age. It works. And from now till Valentine's Day, folks, the brand new Genesol jawline treatment is yours free when you order Genesol for bags and puffiness under the eyes. And for results in 12 hours, the immediate effects is also free. Just go to Genesol.com or call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Say goodbye to that double chin, bags under your eyes. Even those laugh lines and crow's feet are gone, guaranteed or your money back. That's crucial. Call 800-SKIN-604 or go to Genesel.com. Call in the next 20 minutes to get the Genesel XV Collagen Builder and Eyelid Lift free, plus free express shipping. This is the last week, so please order now. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. You know, I've been thinking of something, and I meant to mention this earlier. And I wasn't here for the vote in the Senate on the impeachment trial. But let me tell you something Romney did. And by the way, the only 
senator in American history to vote to remove a president of his own party. But let me tell you what else he did. He may have cost Susan Collins and Cory Gardner, among others, their seats. Now, why do I say that? Because what do you think their Democrat opponents are going to say? Even Mitt Romney took a principled stand. Even Mitt Romney stood up against his president. But you, Susan Collins, you couldn't do it. Even Mitt Romney saw high crimes and misdemeanors. But you, Susan Collins, did not. You, Cory Gardner, did not. I'm serious about this. If you're a Democrat, that's what you're going to do. So Mitt Romney, I don't know, but he may have cost us the Senate by his vote. We shall see. It's an enormously selfish, self-aggrandizing individual. It's what he is. Let's go to Steve Highlands, Michigan, XM Satellite. How are you? Hello? Hello. Are you there? Go right ahead. All righty. Mark, I hope you're having a good day. I am. Go right ahead, please. And I'm in New Mexico, not Michigan. I'm only reading what my brother puts up here. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about the division in our country and the hate that, that we saw once Trump got elected. And I think we can go back to Woodrow Wilson, 1912-1920, uh, and how he promoted the Ku Klux Klan to the point where they were prominent and, and grew in numbers. And you go back to those two huge Ku Klux Klan marches that were in Washington, D.C., 1923-1925, those happened under the... The, uh, big, the big march was in 1924 in New York Madison Square Garden as oh. well during the Democrat Convention. Well, I, I've watched on YouTube some of the marches that the Klan right. had in the 20s. One of them was in Washington, D.C. Okay. And your point is what now? That Calvin Coolidge was president then and didn't have anything to do to promote the Klan. In other words, it was a bleed over from the Obama, I mean, from uh, Woodrow Wilson into the next administration. I think we got a repeat going on now with that. And a repeat, remember, oh, a repeat of what going on now? The Klan? Division, division and hate. Okay, but I'm not sure I understand your argument. Thank you for your call. Did you understand this, Rich? I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't. If you're saying the Democrat Party is a history of hate, there's absolutely no question about that. We've talked about that history here. Uh, I'm not sure what that has to do with the Klan today, so I'm a little confused. Emmanuel, Los Angeles, California, 870 AM, KRLA, where we are live and national. Go. Hi, Mark. How are you? Okay. Um, now, you were talking about stop and frisk earlier. Yes, I was. And, uh, you know, I lived in Israel for about four years, and uh, Israel uh, functions on that, you know, for a variety of reasons. And in, in concept, I'm actually pro-stop and frisk. Um, but I still feel, you know, I'm a conservative Republican as well, but I still feel that in the Constitution of America, it doesn't quite fit the bill because I... <coughs> well, the, the courts have upheld it. And you can't just stop a bunch of people. You have to have a reason, not probable cause. But if somebody's walking around and they look suspicious and they have a bulge in their hip and uh, you don't believe it's like an, an excessive growth on the back or on their side or what have you, or if they're casing a store, if they're doing something like that, driving around the block 10 times, uh, why not? 
No, no, I guess I agree to that. I, Do they I have mean, to actually shoot somebody until we can actually stop and frisk them? The, the, the stop and frisk only if there's a little bit of cause, or you can just stop a guy for no reason at all. That's What's that? Stop and frisk. Does that mean you can stop a guy for no reason at all? Or there has I, to be I just bit? explained it to you. I see. I see. So then I guess I changed my mind then. I, uh... no, no, but let's slow down. There's no question that opponents of this will say, oh, you're just stopping people willy-nilly. But cops don't want to stop people willy-nilly. <coughs> That's not right. the rule. And these big cities have been much safer as a result of stop and frisk. Everything cannot be defined in racial terms. I mean, the fact of the matter is, as I say, Bloomberg was right about his statistic that the vast majority, overwhelming majority of murder takes place in minority communities, people 16 to 25 doing the murders, and people 16 to 25, the victims who are murdered. You can't ignore that if you're going to be a serious people and have a serious society. All right, thank you, sir. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, it's a sad day in America. Andrew Yang has dropped out of the race. And his 14 supporters are really very upset. You know who's winning the Democrat primary, Mr. Producer? Donald Trump. Look at this. This group of of clowns. Donald Trump's winning. The Democrat Party's fighting over imbeciles. It really is. Donald Trump is winning the Democrat primary. (laughs) Respectfully. Could you be... A luckier Republican nominee, he will be the Republican nominee, than to run against potentially Sanders, Buttigieg, Kobacher, Warren. I think she's kind of out of the mix now because she did so poorly in a neighboring state. Or Biden. Biden is not out of the mix. Again, I'm not pushing him. I just look past elections where you've had a number of candidates get beat up in these first two states, and then uh, they start picking up steam elsewhere. I'm not saying that's Biden, because Biden's got half a loaf, if you know what I mean. So he may not be the guy. But there's no strong candidate coming out of this. And if it is Bernie Sanders, I can just see Trump debating him. And Sanders going on a free health car. Not free health car. Open borders. Free college. Eliminate student loans. You're a racist. You're a bigot. You're a racist. I could see Donald Trump shredding him to pieces. Bernie Sanders has not really been taken on. Certainly not one-on-one yet. If Hillary can beat him, I feel Trump can. Now, look, I don't take anything for granted. You need to be resolute. There's a lot of people on the other side you cannot underestimate. But Trump is the winner. In the Democrat primary. 
you're also going to see something else that is really quite bizarre. And that is Republicans, pseudo-conservatives, nationalist populists, rooting for Bernie. Not because they think he'll be a weaker candidate, but they think he's treated unfairly by the Democrat Party. Well, he's not a Democrat. He's a Democratic Socialist, a.k.a. a Marxist. Moreover, they ought to brutalize him. As I said, he's a Marxist. The Democrat establishment doesn't want him. So what? I don't want him either. Now again, if, if, if the theory is he'd be the easiest to beat, I got that. But it's not my point. Why are we crying crocodile tears for saying poor Bernie has been so mistreated by the Democrat Party? And a lot of people who are saying that mean it. It's not a politically strategic point. Just against the entrenched establishment, as am I. But that doesn't mean I turn to Marxists either. Now, we have a lot of people who want to get in on this. Honestly, can I be honest with you, Mr. Bill? I don't know why. But let's do it anyway. Let's do it anyway. Let us go to, I'm not sure I know how to pronounce this. Mr. Kolskun has been off a couple times here. I've got to make sure he's right. Anselmo, Los Angeles, California, 870 The Answer, KRLA. What, how do you pronounce your name? You had it right, Anselmo. Thank you, sir. Oh, you were right, Richie. So, Go ahead. So, no, I was calling regarding that last uh, caller we got, the whole stop and frisk thing. So, I'm a deputy here in California, and we have a lot of the same issues of, you know, there's perceptions, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. But by <coughs> and large, the public wants us in the community policing actively. Uh-huh. And the whole, the stop and frisk, people need to understand it's, it's not willy-nilly, it's not random, it's there's probable cause, there's reasonable suspicion, there's all these different things that go into that and affect dropping crime. And uh, the best story I can give you in the 19 years uh, I was doing Section 8 investigations, and we were doing so well doing these things that my team... What, what's Section 8? ...is uh, government-subsidized housing. Like oh, oh so that's Section 8. Got it. So we were doing Section 8 investigations and putting cases on people for welfare fraud, basically. Well, we were so many convictions that ultimately... Eric Holder decided to haul us into court as the bad guys. So this, I guess the, the thing I'm trying to get across is people need to understand we're out there trying to do these things, but government is handcuffing us and not wanting it to occur. And these are liberal cities that are handcuffing, liberal states. And as a result, communities are much more dangerous. And these are the same politicians that don't believe in the Second Amendment. So where do you go? You don't have the cops. You don't have a gun. Yeah, you don't have you don't have anything. You have hopes and prayers. Yeah. You know, like I said, in, in targeting Section Eight, we got Part One crime down twenty eight percent in one year. Wow. All the people around could see what was going on, but they really didn't understand. And then overnight, it stopped. And they were just flabbergasted. What happened? And we, we told them we got we we're the bad guys. Well, that's terrible. They were just they were just flabbergasted. But yeah, that last 
caller, yeah, it's not random. It's no, very I agree. targeted. It's for a reason, and it's for the greater good. All right, my friend. You be safe out there, and thank you for what you do. Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. What's your take on democratic socialism? Well, in basic Marxism, they talk about stages of development. So you start with slavery, then it gets a little better, you get the feudalism. After feudalism, you get the capitalism, which they acknowledge brings full development and modernization. Then you progress further to socialism. After a period of socialism, you go on to communism. So socialism gets you to communism. Also, the left writes that democracy is ruled by the people. And the people are represented by the Communist Party. So basically, democratic socialist is a communist communist. So they're playing tricks with words. And communist countries are usually called people's democratic republics. So they play a trick with words. So democracy doesn't mean what you and I know it to mean. No, that's right. Ruled by the people, people represented by the Communist Party. Isn't, isn't so- it amazing, Jimmy, how little is being done? to truly expose and explain who Bernie Sanders is and what he stands for. Well, Bernie Sanders is the only honest one on the Democratic side. He's admitting what he is, only now he says he's not a communist. That's a trick, because he visited the Soviet Union, and he he supported the Sandinistas. He's pushing all the type of things that will destroy us, which is the goal of the world communist movement. Remember, the Soviets always said America is enemy number one. And the radical Islam, which is connected to the Soviets, always said we're the big Satan. Israel's always the little Satan. So there's a lot of trick with words, and we have to start fighting back. Uh, 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 Tulsi Gabbard was praised by the Communist Party. Rick Nagin, on his own personal site, Communist Party guy, praises uh, Tulsi Gabbard. She was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Same with Buttigieg. Buttigieg was a uh, Bernie Sanders supporter, and I think he was 15 years old. He wrote a report, it might have been published, that uh, Bernie Sanders is a hero for openly embracing socialism. So the Democrat Party is being taken over. Now, I don't want the Democratic Party to fall apart. I want, them, I want us well, to... Well, let me ask you them. about that. What do you think of people who are out there who say, poor Bernie Sanders, he's under attack by the Democrat Party? <laughs> Why do we care? Isn't that a good thing? Uh, well, maybe they figure that we've got to get Bernie Sanders' people angry, and they won't vote if he doesn't win the nomination. But I don't want the Democrat Party to be taken over by communists. Now, this current crop of Democrat leaders, they could all lose, and that's great. But I think the next crop that will take over will be worse, because there's a lot of young people in the Democrat Party who are hardline Marxists, but they look and sound better than people like Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. So I want the Democrat Party to lose these elections, but I'd rather we help them at some point get rid of their Marxists who penetrated their party. And I agree to- with you. I agree with you. Some people may be shocked. I agree with you. And I think it is a huge mistake to keep treating Bernie Sanders like he's some kind of novelty or some kind of a, uh, a victim. Now, the same schools that brainwashed people, young people, into voting for socialism, those are the same schools that taught the Democrat people how to count. And you can see the result in Iowa. They can't, do, they can't add, they can't count numbers. That's not only miseducation, that's diseducation, purposeful destruction of our <coughs> educational system in order for us to collapse. So we're being attacked at all levels, and the communists write about it. All right, my friend, I I got a roll. Thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. 
AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Now, through it all, we still have our media friends, not. And, of course, the biggest nut job of them all, and there's many, is Chuck Todd, the Chuckster. And then here he is on MSLSD yesterday. And let's hear what he had to say about you. Cut eight, go. I want to bring up something that um, Jonathan um, last put in the uh, bulwark today, and it was about how, and Ruth, we've all been on the the receiving end of of the Bernie online brigade, and here's what he says. He says, no other candidate has anything like this sort of digital brown shirt brigade, I mean, except for Donald Trump. The question no one is asking is this, what if you can't win the presidency without an online mob? What if we now live in a world where having a bullying agro social media army running around, popping anyone who sticks their head up is either an important ingredient for or a critical market marker of success. Wow. Okay, that's I know like... everybody's freaking out about this, but you saw the MAGA rally that's preparing around here. There are people coming from three or four states on that. That's real, and you know, that is a, this is like burning. Uh, that is a really depressing sentence that you just read. First of all, I know her. She's a left-wing hack who was a reporter for the Washington Post when I was serving uh, Attorney General Meese. Ruth Marcus, the one in the back. That's a very depressing sentence. I have no respect for her whatsoever, and she knows exactly why, because I know who she is. A hack. That's number one. Chuck Todd, how dare you? How dare you compare, by reading that, intentionally compare Trump supporters to digital brown shirt brigade. Brown shirts. Nazis. Nazis. And this man keeps his job as the host of Meet the Press, as the political director for NBC News. He keeps these, what used to be, considered very, very big-time jobs for real professionals. But he has to read it, he says. He has to bring something up Jonathan Last said, because Jonathan Last is so important on the bulwark. This is how incestuous these fools are. This is how cloistered they are. Nobody knows who Jonathan Last is. I do, but the rest of the world doesn't know who he is. And why do you quote him? Other than to use it as the occasion to accuse Trump supporters of being brown shirts. And what will corporate NBC do about this? What will Comcast do about this? Many of you have Comcast cable in your home. What are they going to do about this? Nothing. Nothing. 
So you have Bernie Sanders, who's a Marxist, and what all that ideology involves. You have Chuck Todd calling Trump supporters brown shirts. And this is where we are today. And they tell us we have to fear Trump. Why? There's no reason to fear Trump. He's been president three years. He's done a hell of a job. And by the way, he proposes this budget. I took the time to go over with it, you with it. It's a mostly conservative, fiscally responsible budget in significant ways. And it's under attack by the Democrats. So on the one hand, the Democrats say, look at this debt, it's unbelievable. So what we have to do is stop cutting taxes. In other words, the, the purpose here is to take more of your money, not less. So we're on this hamster wheel, as I call it. They keep spending, they keep borrowing, and they keep taxing. But the President of the United States has submitted a realistic, fiscally conservative, for the most part, budget. And I don't hear a lot of Republicans getting behind it. So the next time he signs a bill because he doesn't want to defund the military or what have you, and you say, why, why, isn't, he, why isn't he fighting this? He's proposing this right now. And the so-called fiscal conservatives, where are they? In the media and elsewhere. They're nowhere. Anyway, this Chuck Todd is, is really a disgusting person. A disgusting person. All right, let's take a call here. I'm pulling it up. Leonard in Melvin, North Carolina, XM Satellite. Go. How are you doing, my friend? I hope it's awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, Thank you. Here, here's my take. I have a degree in political science, and I'm a 14-year vet out of two different services in the military. I think things are worth defending. Well, I have no problem, and I do mean zero problem, with Democrats. <clears throat> changing your rules, doing whatever they can to save their party from Bernie Sanders. I agree with you. I don't understand why we're all supposed to be running to defend Bernie Sanders against the Democrat establishment. Let them destroy him. Well, my thing is, he's not a Democrat. Right. He's simply using their... Because Trump became a Republican a long time ago and actually supported... Republican policies, and then when he ran for the ticket, he had some Republican cred in the fact that you can go by video after video after video that says, hey, look, I stand for Republican values, and I stand for Republican uh, platform. Then Bernie just says, you know what, I'm going to, you guys have built this, I'm going to burn it to the ground, and you guys just got to sit by and watch it happen. And when Hillary, I've got leftist friends, and I'm saying, wait a minute, if I came to your house and say, you know what, I'm coming to your house, I'm burning it to the ground if you don't give it to me, and you just got to stand by, none of you would tolerate that. But you're expecting the Democrat Party that is built on their little racist garbage for umpteen hundred years, you're expecting the, the legacy that they've got to be even more tarnished by pushing this nation towards socialism and Marxism. I got news for you. I wouldn't tolerate it. I got no problem with them screwing Bernie to the wall. And they, they have no wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be better, Yep. as, as uh, Jimmy from Brooklyn said, if the Democrat Party were in fact a moderate party? So we'd have a more conservative party and a moderate party? Wouldn't that actually be better? That would be better for America. And it would show that somebody actually remembers what our Constitution is and who we fought two world wars against. 
Yep. And that, that's what just – I go to college campuses. I, I, my best friend works at Chapel Hill. And I go to these college campuses, and I'm constantly doing Facebook with these kids live and debating them, and I'm watching kids tell me to a man – I support communism over capitalism because it's better for the people. And I'm like, what people? Are you, have you lost your mind? Yeah. Please tell me what people So, So let me just say this. You were very effective in your call, and thank you for your call. Call again. I think it does a grave disservice, ladies and gentlemen, when people come to Bernie Sanders' defense, rather than using the occasion to expose him, to explain what he stands for, to denounce his positions. I, I really don't understand this idea that, uh, that he should come into the Donald Trump tent. That's ridiculous. I'll be back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. I wish you folks could know the president the way I know the president. He is so funny and kind and charismatic and smart And yet if you watch MSNBC and CNN and these other places, you wouldn't have an inkling of any of this. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders is platitudinous. He's not particularly bright. He's rude. He's obnoxious. And yet look how they treat him. And if he's the nominee, who knows? I think it's pretty wide open right now. But if he's the nominee... Do you think they're going to work hard to expose Bernie Sanders in his past? Did they work hard to expose Barack Obama's in his, pa- in his past? No. I am uh, pleased that many of you Levinites out there agree with me on this, which is we wish the Democrat Party was in fact a more moderate party. Be better for the nation. So every election... It wouldn't swing hard left if they win, whether it's the House, the Senate, or the presidency. I don't think we help ourselves or our country or our future by defending Bernie Sanders against his party, because it's not his party. As we, he's not a Democrat. And so I have no problem 
with them trying to stop him. He's not the people's choice. Get 28%, 26%. It's a plurality. So I have no problem with that. He's a Marxist. In fact, we should be pleased that the Democrats are trying to stop him. They view him as too crazy ass. And by the way, most of them are quite similar to him now. They've moved hard left. But you understand my point. Let us go to Fakima, Memphis, Tennessee, XM Satellite. Go. Yes. How are Democrat you, sir? Par- How you doing, sir? Good, thank the you. Democrat Party, uh, <clears throat> continuing what you just said, is no, is no longer that old Democratic Party. It is now a socialist, fascist, uh, Democratic flavor because the base is. That's why yesterday at the uh, debate, when they were asked that question, Klobuchar put a hand up, but everybody else did because they know that's their base now. Isn't that amazing? It's, yeah, it's amazing. It's just like the Democrats, they switch, they try to switch things like during the time when Hitler was in power, him and Franklin D. Roosevelt came up at the same time. What happened, there was a general that worked for Hitler. His name was Gustav Gilbert. He studied at the University of Arkansas was at the Democratic Convention around 1933, 34, 35, learned the Democrat ways. When he went back to Germany, Hitler had that famous meeting in Auschwitz, where they created the Nuremberg Laws, because they were trying to determine how to kill these Jews. Mr. Mr. Plan. Mr. Producer, you got to look all this up. They were, they were trying to come up with a plan, how to kill off these Jews. Well, they were saying, and, and Gustav had said, I got the perfect plan. The de- he said, the Democrats of America have... All right, I, 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 I appreciate your call, sir. Don't look it up. Don't bother. Come on, Fakima. I thought you were going to be a fascinating call. Unfortunately, we fell off the roof. Jane. Saratoga, New York. The great WDGJ. Go. Yes. Hi, how are you? Good. Uh, I want, first of all... My first loud and clear message is we have to calmly not let Bernie Sanders become a martyr, um, which he's going to ride that And yet way. people are doing this right now. Are. It's, it's unbelievable. It's making me crazy. But I talk to as many people as I can. We cannot let him ride that wave because he will. I was uh, a mental health worker many years ago in right. Vermont. Um, under Bernie Sanders, and not literally, but under the reign of terror that uh, Bernie Sanders brought on that state. I was an in-home counselor. I would go into a home, work with families who had subsidized housing, mental health care. I would find them jobs to help them become responsible people. His government would come in and say, don't take that job. If you do, you're going to lose your mental health, you're going to lose your health program, and you're going to lose your subsidized housing. So stay just as stagnant as you are. A few years later, the entire program broke down, went broke. The mental health department was shut down. People lost their subsidized housing, their WIC programs, and Bernie Sanders did not care what happened to those people. He watched them fade by the roadside, and he laughed 
all the way to the bank. And that is just the truth right well, there. And, and, and you see, this is the thing. You raise a very good point. This is the thing about the Marxist, democratic, socialist left. They have a funny way of showing their support for humanity. They're ideologically driven. And their ideology doesn't work. Human nature has demonstrated that time and again. But they don't care. So this, this is a farce to say that they believe in humanity, they believe in equality. They believe in an ideology. And they seek to impose it on you whether you like it or not. And that's what they did to your profession there, isn't it? Yes, exactly. In fact, my job, I lost my job, and I and three other workers went on for 10 years for no pay because, you know what I said to myself, which Bernie Sanders didn't say or any of his people? I said, how do I face that little child who's waiting for me to come tomorrow to make him safe and say to him, I'm not coming to see you because I'm not getting any money. Uh-huh. And that's what it's all about. They're socialistic, communistic, disgustingly cruel and cold people. And they are. We and you cannot have... allow it to happen. I will no. fight it to the day I die. I, and I, so I, I, don't, I don't think that we should be taking the side of Bernie Sanders against the Democrat Party. We should let them fight it out. But that said, I want Sanders to lose. I want him to lose and lose badly. And I want us, we conservatives, or even we non-Marxists, to explain why he should lose. Could I, and I don't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. I have run into some young people here in New York, which is like living in hell, basically. And uh, I've spoken to them. Now, you get to young people. I sat down with them, and I said, okay, here's one side, here's the other. Do you want to be a free-thinking person in this world? Do you want to be an adult who can think for himself, take care of his children, and not have everyone telling you what to do? These young people are starting to listen. And that's the most encouraging... Well, I'll tell you what. If every parent... And grandparent would sit down with their child or their grandchild. Not just once, but repeatedly or over the phone. And explain things to them. We would have an army of tens of millions up against them and we would be successful. The problem is, too many parents and grandparents don't bother. Some do, many do. I'm not talking to you folks. But enough do not. They just expect somebody else to do it or they throw their hands up or they say, I can't get through to them. Keep at it. It's very, very important. Do it. And I'm going to. And I know many other people who are saying, okay, if the other people aren't doing it, we will. And by God, I will. And Mm. I will speak up for it. And I am a Trump supporter, and I am a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. I always will be. And um, I will not watch Bernie Sanders do the same thing that he did. And and during that time, when the government whole system shut down, Vermont had the highest rate of teenage children who were alcoholics. And now New Hampshire has the highest rate of drug abuse. And there, there are not many minorities there, so we can't say people are beating up on minorities. Good point. And you know what? 
I'm not for all this legalization like all these other people are. Aren't you for liberty? I'm for a civil society. That's liberty with footnotes. Liberty with footnotes. Not tyranny. Not the government molesting us. Liberty with footnotes. I do not believe in uh, in legalization of most of these drugs. Decriminalization to some extent, pot. But I don't think it should be an open open book. And uh, Daniel Horowitz has a great piece at Conservative Review today. Uh, where he talks about this legalization. Look at legalization. What has it brought us? Homelessness and drug addicts all throughout these cities. San Francisco, Los Angeles, Baltimore, and so forth. There are other reasons too, but this is a big contributing factor. Great call, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Kevin, Kyle, Texas, XM Satellite, go. Amon, sorry, DC, the great WMAL, go. Yes, sir. Um, I was having a discussion with a friend about this whole brain situation when they're paying off tuition, and yeah. I said it would be counterproductive to universities, and this is my argument. Yeah. If we run out of people's taxes to pay for everybody's tuition, then he's going to go out to the universities, tell them, say, you cannot charge us so much money to educate our kids now. And that was my main argument. So I, in other words, the, the government will get its foot in the door. Exactly. It'll start uh, regulating tuition, regulating the sale of books, regulating, regulating. Is that your point? Yes, sir. It's a great point. And what and how did that uh, – what do they think, your friends, when you mention it to them? They didn't care. They said, as long as they're paying off my tuition, I'm happy with that. And I said, that's my money. That's other people's money. But you shouldn't you know, be that cavalier because years down the road, when your daughter or your son tried to go to school, you just got to look at the UC system where they ran out of money back in think, 2009 or 2010. They started canceling classes raising prices, and people couldn't afford to go to school. So it was a big situation in California during that, during that time. Why do you think we understand the law of supply and demand, but a lot of these other folks don't? I don't know. I, I, I wish they'd give a, I, they maybe fell asleep in economics. I don't know. <laughs> but it's basic stuff. I mean, even where you work, where I work, anybody works, you start giving stuff away, all kinds of weird things happen. Exactly. All right. Thank you for your call. Outstanding. WVLK country, Jared in Kentucky. Go right ahead. Hello, great one. Thank you. First time caller. Yes, sir. I'm fired up. Yeah. You know why? I am tired of people like Bernie, but especially like when I was watching the Oscars. I'm tired 
of getting lectured about how we need to cut our carbon emissions and we need to do all this. And this is coming from people who own private jets. And I got to see DiCaprio on his G5 with his 30 women. That's fine. But he's got a big boat. He puts out more carbon, a bigger carbon footprint than probably my entire city. I mean, this is a joke. We're all stuck flying in these little tiny cans, and while they get to do oh, whatever but, but, they want. But what do you think about it broadly? Like, they're going to make all these decisions for us. Let me ask you something. What has Bernie Sanders ever done to qualify him to manage an enormously complicated and complex society of 320 million people? Nothing. He brings these abstract ideological policies to the table. And as the gentleman just said before who called, He's got buddies, and what do they say? I just want somebody to pay off my student loan. So you'll vote to destroy the country? Exactly. And all you got to really do, up, do is get up there and say, free, 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 and people will believe it. But this is why I reject the idea that we should talk about poor victim Bernie Sanders. He's trying to take over the Democrat Party. He's not a Democrat. Oh, he's an outsider, but he has nothing in common with Trump. Trump loves his country. And he's a capitalist, and he believes in a strong military and a secure border. Bernie Sanders opposes all those things. So this isn't a populist movement on the Bernie Sanders front. It is a phony people's movement. This is what the Marxists do, as Jimmy from Brooklyn was explaining. They, they camouflage themselves in the language of democracy when they're all about tyranny. Right. And they, and they really would love to get rid of the middle class because the middle class is just their enemy. Why, why would the middle class vote for somebody like this when we have an absolutely killer economy that is, in fact, benefiting really everybody in this country? Why the hell would you give that up for this ideological old red? I wouldn't. My 401k is brilliant right now. Best mm. it's ever been. Yep. So I, I'm fired up. But it's great to talk to you. Great one. All right, my friend. Thank you. <clears throat> so here's the bottom line tonight. Sanders beat Buttigieg, Buttigieg beat Klobuchar, Klobuchar beat Warren, and Warren beat Biden. And and Donald Trump beat all of them. Why, Mark? Because this is a mess for the Democrats, and they have a Marxist at the head of their party. Trump won. That's the way I view it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Tom Steyer dropped out. Oh, too bad. See you tomorrow. God bless you, and be well. Thank you.